Thank you for listening to Tahlequah First United Methodist Church's sermon podcast. We hope you enjoy listening to the podcast. And if you want to find out more about us, you can go online at tahlequahumc.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. words. Once more Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Look, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my, and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready. But those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him, hand and foot, and throw him into the outer darkness, for there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. This is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Now, dear Lord, I just pray that the meditations on my heart and the words in my mouth are nothing less than glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So reading this scripture several times this week, I was thinking about the sermon today and I, and I thought of my own wedding and my sister's wedding as well. You see, she's nine years older than me, and so when she got married, it was a different decade. I was only 12, and the church was packed. My dad was a very prominent businessman in Pahuska at the time, and you see in the early, early 80s, 81, 82, oil was booming. So it was no surprise that so many of his business acquaintances would show up. It was a packed church. There was no seating. And my little brother was three, and he was in a tuxedo, and he was wearing a diaper because mom was afraid of accidents. And he would walk around and, and visit everybody, and everybody just doted on him and loved on him. And I remember it being such a huge ordeal. They were worried about downstairs not holding enough people. I heard my mama say to my dad that there was 150 people there. Now, my wedding... Let me back up, though. Before 
My sister walked down the aisle. My dad's at the back door, and they've told the story time and time again. God rest his soul. My dad's at the back door with my sister, and he looks at my sister, and he says, it ain't too late. We can go out the back door. And she goes, all oh, the money that's been spent and everything. He says, mm, I don't care. We can go out the back door. Now, he was a good man. My ex-brother-in-law was a good man and is a good man. Ex-brother-in-law. But my daddy knows how to peg men, how to peg people. Now, my wedding was a different story. I was married in 91, and my dad's business relationships had gone away. Oil had fell. And in fact, my mama turned that oil fancy, schmancy oil office into a bakery. And the morning of the wedding, she's down there decorating my cake. And I had big, beautiful purple hearts. And as she's decorating the cake, I said, what are you doing? I said, just put the hearts on it. Let's go. I said, we get, I get married in just a few hours. And she says, nope, I'm praying blessings over each of these hearts. And it was a different story. We had some friends. We had some family there. There was less than 50 people there. I heard my mama say, wow, see how times change when you don't have the money you used to? And as we got, got to the top of the stairs, the same church, the same scenario, and I'm hooked into daddy's arm. And I said, are you going to tell me it's not too late? He says, nope, we got a good one. Let's start. I'd agree. I'd agree. <laughs> my dad replied to my mama when she said, see, when you don't have money, will you sure see who, what's happened? And my mama said, my dad said, yep, you see who really cares and who really don't and who really wants just to party and who don't. So I decided to focus on the scripture today because I want to talk about who was at this wedding party. Was there ever a moment in church when you were listening to a lesson and being read and about halfway through it, you suddenly wished you could call a timeout? Say to the reader, stop, wait a minute, hold on. Back up and start this story again. I, I need to hear that again. Something didn't quite sound right to me. Well, that's happened to me more than once, and in fact, it happened to me when I heard this story. There have been moments in listening to this story from the 22nd chapter of Matthew that I have wanted to simply stop, call a timeout, and ask myself, what is really going on here? The, the reason I say that is because the story sounds like something that I could guess the ending of. It's, it's kind of the story where you think, oh, I know where this is going. This sounds good. I understand the point, then halfway through it, suddenly, it changes on you. That is what we are dealing with in today's scripture. Surely you've heard that old phrase, I don't go to church because all the hypocrites do. Maybe even you've said it. Well, we're going to think about that line today as we consider Jesus' parable of the wedding feast. Now here's a little cultural background for you. In Jesus' story, it was common to invite guests to the elaborate wedding festivities well in advance of the day. And then a reminder invitation would go out just before the feast. 
to have been invited not once but twice, and then not to have attended, would have already amounted to a great insult to the host. But in Jesus' parable, that's not the worst thing that happened. The guests not only didn't show up, they abused and even killed the messengers that came to give them a reminder invitation. Within the context of Matthew, this parable typically is read as a slap at Jews who did not respond to God's invitation, to recognize Jesus as God's incarnate son. Because, you see, the story is grouped with a series of judgment parables that appear shortly before the suffering and death of Jesus. Christians typically hear this parable as a judgment on the Jews that persecuted and killed many of the prophets and then finally killed Jesus. Christians also typically see themselves as the ones that God invited after the enraged king allowed the original wedding guest to be destroyed. Hence, Christians have typically seen the Roman destruction of Jerusalem and scattering of the Jewish people in 70 AD as God's revenge for the rejection of Jesus. Now, in that traditional way of reading Matthew's gospel, and particularly this parable, Christians come off in a glorious victory light as the good folks that heeded the king's invitation, like those that went before them. The problem with that reading is the way that Jesus and his inner circle and most of the early Christians, you see, they were Jews. Jesus' followers continued to gather for Jewish worship and observe God's law. Not only before the crucifixion and resurrection, but even after the ascension of Jesus and the birth of Christian church at Pentecost, the separation of Christian Jews from Jewish synagogues came way later in the first century after Matthew's gospel. So now it's blatantly obvious that within Matthew's gospel, the rejection of Jesus by Jewish religious leaders is a key part of the narrative leading up to the trial, suffering, and death of God's Son. And this is an inescapable part of the story. It is all also blatantly obvious that within Matthew, the contrast is drawn between the joyous welcome given Jesus on Palm Sunday and the bitter rejection of Jesus by the crowd at his crucifixion. But Matthew doesn't tell us this story in order to build up Christian hostility toward Jews. For after all, Jewish Christians were the most significant part of the early church. So I submit to you that Matthew's intent by including the parable is to address the problem of hypocrisy. Calling oneself a Christian and yet neither responding to God's invitation to his feast like those that stayed away in the story, nor being ready for the feast when one did show up. That's, of course, not the popular reading of this parable today. Many Christians today read this parable as a word about inclusion, that everyone is welcome to come to God's feast just the way they are. So... Here is that change that I was talking about earlier. In fact, I was talking to one of my dear clergy friends this week and telling him that I was going to preach on this, and he said, are you going to stop at verse 11? You're not going to go down there to where that one guy wore the wrong garments and then got thrown out in the darkness, are you? I said, no, I am. And he said, well, 
You know what they say, fools tread where angels, you know, are scared to fly, so you go right ahead. And I said, no, I am, because I got a thought on it. So here's that change that I was talking about earlier, that all are included, except, except. The king arrives at the banquet, greets his guests, and notices one of them not wearing a wedding garment. When asked why, he was speechless. So the host has him forcefully evicted and thrown out into the outer darkness. The king says, send him away. Send him away. He's not ready for the party. We're never told why the man did not observe the dress code. Was he a latecomer? Did he have time to change clothes? Why would a king gracious enough to invite him in the first place turn around and rudely evict him from the reception? One commentator suggests that garments may have even been provided for them at the front door to make sure that they were dressed right. And this makes the man's refusal to wear one even more serious. Even then, the punishment seems cruel and unusual for the crime. Jesus was, so stu- was no stuffed shirt. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, he has said, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor about your body, what you shall put on. So this dramatic turn in the parable has little to do with the dress code. Some had made light of the invitation by staying away, but this man was making light of the invitation after he had come to the party. He was at the party. Let me give you an example. There was a man who said he spent a week at the Benedictine Monastery with a group of seminary students. He said at noon, every day, those of us in the guest house joined the monks for prayer along the number of people from the local community. One day, he said, I watched a couple of retirement age people making their way up to pray. The man wore a sweatshirt that said, I can only be nice to one person a day, and today is not your day. Tomorrow doesn't look good either. What was he thinking? The man said. He said, I wondered, what was he thinking, and why did his wife let him get out of the house dressed that way to go pray in the monastery? The next day, they were back, and his sweatshirt read, why don't you understand about the word no? That's all it said. So God's gracious invitation always comes to us as we are, just where we are. I love that. Working with the Wesley Foundation, I talk about that all the time. It's right where we are. God's grace is amazing and abounding for us right where we are. But, but, actually, nobody really believes that God wants everyone to stay exactly as we are. Does does God really? God loves, you know, God loves serial killers. God loves child molesters. God loves ruthless and arrogant businessmen and businesswomen. God loves manipulative mothers that damage their children's emotions for life. 
point of God's love is that God wants them to change. God hates what they're doing and affects it has on everyone else, all of his other loved ones, and on themselves too. Ultimately, God, being a good God, God cannot allow that sort of behavior and the sort of person, if they don't change to remain forever in the party, God is throwing for his son. So this means if you stay away from God's weekly feast because of all the hypocrites that are in church, you're just as much a hypocrite if you claim to be a Christian, but don't answer God's invitation to the feast. Remember, the church is the gathering of those that have answered God's gracious invitation to be a part of the party. If we show up for the feast but want to stay just the way we are, we're no better. If If we call ourselves Christians, Jesus died on the cross for the ungodly, for your sins and for mine, but... That's not the end of the story. It's just the beginning. In the early church, and still in some places today, a new Christian is baptized naked and then is clothed in this white, beautiful robe, signifying that the person had died to sin with Jesus and been raised to a new life, clothed in Christ's righteousness. Christ's righteousness is a free gift. The wedding garment for the marriage, yep, a free gift. God's grace, you got it, a free gift. Only someone play-acting at being a Christian comes to the party but wants to remain clothed in his or her sinful way of life. That's why baptism is a way of life. A Christian daily renounce of hypocrisy, the pretense that she or he is a joyful guest, to God's feast, clothed in Christ's righteousness while still parading around for God and all the world to see. That same old everyday pre-baptismal rebellious wear. I had the opportunity for the last 18 months to get to serve a beautiful couple, Holy Communion, every Sunday, first Sunday of the month, every first Sunday of the month. And it was a glorious, um, a glorious opportunity for me to get to be a part of. And I asked Barbara's permission before I started talking about this this morning, and I, won't, I will just touch on it briefly, about how Dawn got prepared for the party. And um, we had some great talks about the church, politics, about Boston Avenue Church and the preachers that were preaching there and if they were good or not, and, and grandchildren and children, events of the community, just glorious conversations. But as it would always get towards the end of the conversation or the devotional that I had talked about, the same stance always was taking place. And it was Dawn laying on the couch and Barbara scooting up in the ottoman and Dawn dropping his head. Because he knew that's where it was about. That Christ had died and Christ had risen for him. Two weeks ago, three weeks ago, at communion for him, 
He said, you know, he said, uh, I'm ready, and it's okay. I said, is it okay? He says, I'm okay, and I'm ready, and I'm going. He says, I just need them all to be okay with it. Because he was going to the party. He was dressed. He was ready from his heart, from the inside out, to ready to go. So I've not done a good service. I've not been a great, I've not been a good preacher. I've not been a good Christian. If I don't tell you, each and every one of you, you got to get ready. The party's happening. Don't miss out. Amen. Thank you for listening to Tahlequah First United Methodist Church's Sermon Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed listening, and we hope that you come and join us some Sunday, and you can find out more about us at TahlequahUMC.org. Thank you, and have a blessed day.